This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. Good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show here on BCFM, where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK and the rest of the world. My name's Jonah Jamfrey. I'm presenting the programme for several months while the amazing Penny Southgate has a very well-deserved rest and recharges her batteries. And we're going to be looking at some news stories related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes. And today in the studio, we have a very special guest, Zoe Bang. Thanks, Gross from Sustrans. Good morning, Zoe. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. No worries. Thank you for coming in. We're going to be talking with Zoe all about things to do with Sustrans. So that's active travel. That's the National Cycle Network, uh, cycling, walking. If you have any questions for her or thoughts about active travel within Bristol, please do send them in. You can message us on WhatsApp on 0750 And that is all on our website as well. You can also find the number there so welcome to one love one planet thank you for joining us settle in for what is sure to be an interesting hour we're going to start with our news roundup so there's been quite a bit of news and quite some quite positive news as well internationally which is nice um so in new york uh this just happened overnight the build public renewables act has now is now in the new york state budget this is described uh by campaigners as the biggest green new deal win in u.s history Uh, This particular act enables the New York Power Authority, which is the nation's largest publicly owned power provider, to increase its renewable energy use. Every year, the Power Authority will perform a review on whether New York is on track to reach 70% renewable by 2030 and 100% clean energy by 2040. That's the state mandates. And if it's not on track, which has happened every year so far, it's not been on track so far, then the Power Authority will step in to build enough energy to make up the gap and keep us on track. The authority also at all times has to maintain majority ownership of such a project, which means that it is all yeah, staying within the public par, public domain. And that is the result of a four-year campaign, which is pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, that all sounds very good. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, other news in America, in Florida, an ecological disaster has been reversed and wildlife is thriving. This is a headline in National Geographic. Um, so there's a river in Florida called the Kissimmee River. It's been restored to its nat- natural state, reversing an ecological disaster from the 1960s when the state asked the federal government to help build a sprawling network of canals and waterways to drain the land. After 20 years and at a cost of around a billion dollars, over 100 kilometres has been re-established and rehydrated and birds and fish are now returning in droves. And that's very exciting. So, yeah, if that can happen, you know, in Florida, maybe it can happen, you know, elsewhere as well where there's been problems. Um, In the UK, uh, some more worrying news. Bumper BP profits reignite debate over tougher windfall tax. So the worrying news is obviously, you know, just how much money oil and gas companies are making at the minute. This is a headline in The Guardian that an oil and gas company has beaten analyst forecasts. Its profits have reached $5 billion in the first three months of this year. So that's $5 billion in the first three months of 2023. The results have, we're going to return attention to the debate over whether oil and gas firms should face a harsher windfall tax on their profits. That's where the government taxes them for this massive windfall in profits. Uh, Paul Nowak, the TUC General Secretary, the Trade Union Congress General Secretary, has said that oil and gas companies are treating the British public like cash machines. 
He said these eye-watering profits are an insult to working families as millions struggle with high, sky-high bills. The government has left billions on the table by refusing to impose a proper windfall tax on the likes of BP. We could have lower household bills in an energy system that served the public if gov the government taxed excessive profits, introduced a social tariff and created public ownership of new clean power. So that is a debate that I'm sure is going to be raging. Have you been following that? So sort of, is that, I mean, it's been affecting all of us, hasn't it, the increased energy bills? Yeah, it's really shocking, actually, thinking about how much money these companies are making um, when so many people, their, their livelihood, their just day-to-day -day living has really been impacted. And, you know, you think about the fact that if we were pushing renewables more effectively there'd be a lot more jobs for people whether it's you know putting in solar panels or creating more wind turbines um, and that would be a lot more equitable for everyone as well yeah definitely and final headline which is uh, more local news uh, Bristol Zoo plans are approved for nearly 200 homes to be built on the site despite huge public opposition the zoo closed last year, but the money raised from the new development will help pay to keep the site's historic gardens open to the public. Critics opposing the scheme slammed the loss of many trees and biodiversity, the impact on the architectural heritage of the Victorian buildings and an increase in car traffic. They also questioned why the zoo decided to relocate to its new larger site in South Gloucestershire. Nearly 10,000 petitioners urged Bristol City Council to refuse planning permission, but councillors on the Development Control Aid Committee uh, last Wednesday decided to press ahead and grant permission for the new homes. Bristol Zoological Society, which owns the site, said the money raised from the development would help keep the gardens open and maintained as well as fund their new wild place project northwest of Cribs Causeway. So that is a lot of news happening um, at the moment, yeah. Zoe, have you? Is there any of any of that you want to comment on, or has there been any new stories you've spotted that you want to draw attention to? Oh, I was a bit sad about the the zoo news just um, when it closed as well. Uh, as a parent, I went to the zoo quite regularly when my child was really small, and it was you know a general outing for us. We had a membership. We went a couple times a week. It was a safe place to go. I knew there wouldn't be any dog poo or anything. Um, <laughs> and um, and you know it was a really nice way to I guess introduce your child to um, different types of uh, life. And yeah, it was accessible via train. Really nice just to go from the train station. You know, I live in Easton, so it was a nice place to go where you didn't have to get into the car. And I think when I travel as well, I really enjoy going to different zoos. And it's just a pity that um, it's no longer something that you can do just using public transport. You have to get into a car to go to the, the new site. And um, that's why we really stopped going once it, it's shifted in that direction. I was going to ask, have you been to the wild place? Or like, yeah, have you been able to go? Is it, I mean, it is harder. Yeah, it's just uh, I really don't enjoy getting into the car for those kind of journeys. I have been a couple of times, um, I think mostly for children's birthday parties. But um, but yeah, I, I definitely um, think it's a, a loss for the city not to have something like that that people can go to using public transport. And it was, you know, it was really accessible previously. So it's it's a massive pity. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that it looks like the homes are going ahead. So hopefully at least some of the uh, nature in the area will be preserved as part of that. I guess we will see 
A um, couple other things before we go to a song. Um, remember that the way we vote is changing. If you're voting in Thursday's local elections, you will need photo ID. Um, so there are local elections happening across the country, not in Bristol, but I think all the, all the councils around us are having elections. So if you live near Bristol but not in Bristol, check because you might be entitled to vote this Thursday. And if you are going to vote, you're going to need to take some ID along with you. Passports are allowed. Uh, driving licenses are allowed, some bus passes um, are allowed, but do double check so that it's not a wasted trip. And a couple other things happening in May. Um, so apparently it is meat-free May, 1st to the 31st of May. Uh, it's a month-long challenge to eliminate meat from your diet for all 31 days in May. And it will apparently help improve your health, help the planet, and help to end animal suffering while doing your bit for world hunger. Do you eat much meat, Zoe? Are you vegetarian? or? Um, I'm not a vegetarian, but uh, when I do eat meat, I try to eat local organic meat. Uh, I, I don't feel good about eating um, highly processed, um, mass-produced meat. Yeah, especially ones that's had come to the supermarkets by travel wrapped in plastic and, you know, that's added a lot of carbon. Uh, the other thing is um, it's also No Mow May. This is an annual event run by the environmental charity Plant Life. It encourages people across the UK and beyond, and beyond to lock up their lawnmowers. Leave your lawnmower in the shed. Let your lawn grow long just for the month of May. It means smaller plants like clover, daisies, dandelions, selfie and clover will get a chance to flower and give pollinating insects a head start. Um, apparently this is important because since, since the 1930s we've lost nearly 7.5 million acres of flower-rich meadows and pastures. Just 1% of our countryside now provides this floral feast for pollinators. Um, so yeah, apparently that's something easy you can do. So it's an excuse, you know, don't bother mowing the lawn. You're, you're saving the environment. It's not you being lazy. You're just saving the environment. It's all fine. Um, yeah, well, we'll play some music and then we will come back to you to chat to Zoe all about Sustrans and what campaigns they're planning on and how you can get involved. This is BCFM. And now we are in the studio with Zoe Banks-Gross. It is the One Love, One Planet show. We're here to talk to you all about everything environmental in Bristol, the UK, the rest of the world. And we've got Zoe from Sustrans here with us this morning. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, Shona. Thanks again for having me. It's great to be here. No worries. Great to have you. So yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us uh, what is Sustrans for people who, it sounds, is it a spy organization with the word <laughs> sus at the front of it? Uh, interesting take, but no, <laughs> actually sustainable transport. Uh, Sustrans is the charity making it easier to walk and cycle. Okay, we love that. And obviously, um, next to the studio, we have our lovely cycle path, which is, yeah, incredible um, and really well used. Every time we go on it, there's just like, I just must pass like 50 people even in the space of a few minutes just well, using it. Interestingly, also the Bristol Bath railway path uh, was the first path created by Sustrans really? um, over 40 years ago. So you're, you're, we're sitting next to a piece of history. A piece of outdoor history. So tell us what Sustrans is up to now. So you've, you've got the cycle path sorted 40 years ago. <laughs> all good. Um, what, what are you up to nowadays? Well, um, it's recently been undergoing the one right next to us, um, has recently undergone um, a bit of 
of a makeover and some bits have been widened, which maybe you've noticed and it makes it easier to walk and cycle along. Loads of people use it for the school run as well. So it's really heavily used and it's, it's great to have a bit more space there. But um, yeah, across the country, we are doing similar, also trying to remove as many barriers. Um, for example, a lot of cycle paths or um, parts of the National Cycle Network, when they were created, they were um, set up with some barriers to prevent people using motorbikes or otherwise. And we've realized that actually, if you have an adapted cycle or a cargo bike, um, something that's perhaps not this really narrow road bike, it's quite difficult to get through, or a mobility scooter. Um, so we've been removing those barriers so that they can be that the, the routes can be used by everyone, um, so not just those people on those those skinny road bikes. That's great. And actually, like, you don't mean even where you can get onto it with a motorbike. It's very rare, I think, you see a motorbike on the cycle path, which is quite nice. I guess maybe society, in that way, people are like, no, we know that this isn't for motorbikes. We know this isn't safe. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a space for people to um, walk and cycle on, and it's not a place for high-speed use whatsoever. But yes, yeah, so um, Sustrans is the charity making it easier to walk and cycle. We're working towards better places for everyone where streets are for people and not dominated by traffic. And we want children to be able to play safely in their community areas, to get to school safely and actively, so not being driven to school every day, um, and, you know, improving the air quality as well. So this is one of the things I think that um, at the moment we're at this point in society where, you know, we could be walking more, we could be cycling more, we could be creating a, a greener, healthier kind of planet, really. Um, but it still seems like a, a bit of a challenge um, that we're still saying, actually, that journey is really short. You know, wouldn't it maybe be nicer to get out of the car and walk it or get on your bicycle uh, and ride it. Um, it's so much more social. It's better for us. And as we know, it's better for the planet too. And what do you think are kind of the barriers that are stopping people from doing that, even if it's a shorter journey? Uh, well, interestingly, I mean, I think it's still pretty fresh in our memories. Um, the beginning of the pandemic when we had that first lockdown, um, all the streets were really devoid of cars. And it was amazing. Um, I've also, um, outside of my Sustrans work, I've been a physical activity um, instructor, so leading runners and, and teaching people to cycle. And I've never seen so many people out running and cycling and just spending time moving um, in our street space. And it just really, I guess, opened my eyes to the fact that we could have a, a different future. Things could be so much nicer and easier. And as soon as the the cars crept back in a lot of people actually said you know I started cycling during that first lockdown and then once the cars dominated the streets again I didn't feel safe and confident to do it anymore so I think that it's really this issue around um, shifting our society away from car dominated spaces and more to a people dominated space you know these spaces are for people they're for children they're for elderly people whether you're in a mobility scooter or on a balance bike, um, you should be able to use the space just just as much as someone in a, a big vehicle. Definitely. And so, um, I mean, what do we know about sort of Bristol and how Bristol prioritises uh, walking and cycling? You know, we sort of think of ourselves as a very green city and there, there's lots of cyclists, but I'm sure lots of cyclists listening don't always feel safe on the roads. I mean, what, what do we know about that? Well, um, Sustrans has actually worked with Bristol City Council for the last several years to create a walking and cycling index. It, it used to be known as um, 
the bike life document. Um, <laughs> but every two years, um, an independently conducted survey has been carried out just to actually to find out what people think. And in general, um, people want more funding for walking uh, and cycling and public transport in Bristol. There's, there's not enough. And a lot of people say they don't feel safe when they get out to do that. And it's interesting because a lot of this, um, when you think about it from a social justice perspective, you know, fewer women feel safe, fewer people from um, ethnic minority backgrounds feel safe, fewer people from LGBTQ plus backgrounds. You know, we really need to change these spaces so that everyone feels like they can access them. And is that sort of a part of like general society, sort of people, you know, women or people of colour or LGBT people um, sort of feeling that they're more likely to be harassed or, um, you know, face verbal abuse in public space in general? Um, We don't have that level of detail from the the data, (laughs) but um, definitely we know that that women say um, that they feel less safe than men do and people from LGBTQ plus backgrounds. So, I mean, I I would, I guess, take from that that they are more likely to be harassed and um, definitely from my experience, um, getting people out um, running and cycling, that is really unfortunately something that I've heard, especially from women and and women from ethnic minority backgrounds that, you know, they have faced harassment. And it's that sort of intersection between gender and, and background, which is just unfair when you think about it. You know, we really need to make these spaces not just for people from uh, certain backgrounds, but but spaces for everyone. Definitely. So um, what does the index, you know, what's sort of the next plan for the index or what is Sustrans kind of doing to try and change these things? So um, we will have this independent survey conducted again this year um, and we'll share those results when they come out probably at the beginning of next year. But I think just making people aware that actually most people do want more funding for walking and cycling. Most people do want their streets to feel safer. I think often we hear this dialogue of like, oh, we need more car parking spaces or um, people don't want to walk or they don't want to cycle. Actually, we've we've got the data saying that um, they want those spaces for, for walking and cycling. Uh, so it's just raising that, I guess, and and looking towards that. I think it's important to make evidence-based decisions and not just, um, you know, on the whim of of your gut. Yeah, so, I mean, how how much money is kind of spent on active travel in in England, in Bristol? Is is, is it a lot? Is it not very much? Well, um, interestingly, um, at the moment, um, we have this unfortunate cut to active travel um, from a national perspective. And if you look at what's spent in England um, versus Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, in England, it's just over one pound per head on active travel. Um, in Scotland, it's 25 pound per head. Wait, okay, so wait, the Scottish government spend 25 times more per person on active travel than English, the English government does. That's correct. That's insane. I mean, think about that from a health perspective. Active travel is a really amazing preventative health um, way of getting people you know, out and moving and potentially preventing things like type 2 diabetes, um, obesity, other, other things that impact health really, really strongly. Um, and yeah, yeah, Scotland, it's £25 per head. Wales is £19 per head. So, you know, just across the Severn, um, that's almost 20 times as much. Um, and Northern Ireland is um, £7 per head. So it's astonishing, isn't it? 
that yeah that's like I expected it to be a little bit of a gap but that much disparity is quite shocking okay so so Sustrans is sort of pushing campaigning for for that because I mean there's but there's an argument that oh well you know the government can say whatever they want but it's an individual choice it should it's up to individuals whether this happens or not what would you say to that I think it's really important that the government does things for the the good of the the country, the good of the people, and you know, making I guess policies that um, are uh, having unequal impacts. You know that basically people with more money are going to benefit more is really unfair. And just thinking about the fact that um, you've got all of these people who want to be walking and cycling and. It's just unfair that um, that you can't really access these spaces. So yeah, we have got an open letter, um, Sustrans does, um, to reverse the cuts made to active travel funding, which you can find on our website if you want to add your voice to that. But in general, uh, we should be thinking about policy changes that are good for the health of the people and, and good for our society as well. Uh, we also know that, for example, people spend more money when they're walking or cycling, um, go into local shops than people driving. So you think about that as an economical factor. Um, you can generate a lot more business um, by having walkable, accessible cities. So we wanted to talk now about some more specifically Bristol things. So obviously you, so um, Sustrans is like a national organisation, so you see stuff across the UK, um, but I know you specifically cover the Bristol area, you obviously live nearby. Yeah, what sort of opportunities do you think are coming up or that there are for Bristol to become better? Because we have a shocking level of air quality, like an illegal level of air quality, so this is something we need to improve on. Yeah, um, I think just to mention, um, Sustrans has uh, two main strategic aims. One of them is Paths for Everyone, so the National Cycle Network, which you mentioned, but also livable cities and towns and creating spaces that, that work for people to move around in, that they can you know, walk to their local amenities, that they feel safe um, spending time in the public realm. That's another area that we're working. And I think, you know, looking around the area that, that we're in right now in East Bristol, um, there are a lot of things, for example, the uh, level of air pollution. Um, it is the worst um, in the city, um, in this ward, and more people die from air pollution in this part of Bristol than anywhere else. I think it's about 300 people per year that die from air pollution Oh my Bristol. goodness, I didn't realize um, it was that high. But it, it's really, you know, again, affecting a lot of people um, who are higher on the index of multiple deprivation. And so from a social justice perspective, creating more livable places is really important. One of the issues that, I mean, I live a few blocks away from here, um, I see a lot is pavement parking. And it means, um, for example, as a parent, um, you end up, if you've got a buggy, you can't actually push your buggy through on the pavement. You've got to go out into the road. And if you've got more than one child, it immediately becomes this, you know, really scary situation of like, well, which child do I put into the road space? <laughs> um, <laughs> which one do I sacrifice? Almost. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just ridiculous. And I mean, that's from the perspective of having young children. But I also see people on mobility scooters who are unable to use the pavement to get through and they've got to go out into the road. And although we have a 20 mile per hour 
our um, speed limit in residential areas, there are bits nearby that are 30 and not everyone adheres to the 20 mile per hour either. So you think about somebody going into the space and we know that from 20 miles per hour, um, you're much more likely to be killed or seriously injured. So it's just this kind of intersection of like, actually, we just need to prioritize some space for people and not prioritize cars. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's a lot of developments happening in the city. Obviously, we have a housing crisis and there's new flats going up. Whether they're affordable or not is a different uh, question. But there's uh, lots of new blocks going up. We've got everything in Temple Quarter. Um, so are you? is the solution to make sure that there's off-road parking for those buildings? Um, I actually don't think that more parking is the solution. I think that we're at this point, um, this junction really with the climate emergency and the ecological emergency where we have to think about the future and we have to think about how we want to move around. We know that so many of our journeys um, are actually under five miles. Um, So, so many car journeys are actually, you know, under three miles even, which is often a walkable or cyclable distance. So just shifting away and thinking about, for example, the, the Temple Quarter, it's exciting that this development's happening there. But, you know, you've got Temple Meads right there. You've got excellent public transport links. You've got, you know, buses. Um, you're also in the city centre. So there's loads you can access on foot or wheel. Um, it's, it's a great spot. But do you actually need parking is, is my question for, for places like this you don't necessarily need car parking and I think it just kind of builds this continuous model of oh well everybody's got a car so I need a car as well and it just drives that sort of consumerism and, and capitalism whereas if you actually you know we see this in other places um, you don't build for parking and, and people don't feel the need to have a car um, especially if the infrastructure is set up where you've got excellent public transport links. I mean, obviously, there will be some people who will always need a car, you know, people with disabilities. But I think, yeah, are you saying that actually a lot of households, especially if they live very centrally, could probably get by without a car or with one car rather than two, because some households need two these days. And is that something Sustrans is kind of, yeah, pushing for? Or promoting? Well, um, Sustrans would like to see a society where people aren't car dependent, that you don't have to have a car to thrive. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned disabilities. So yes, I I know some people who have disabilities do need a car, but um, we actually undertook research that we published earlier this year, our um, Disabled Citizens Inquiry, and actually did quite a lot of really in-depth work with disabled people to find out what they needed and most of them did not own a car so there is a bit of you know people saying oh well what about people with you know they definitely need a car they definitely need a car parking space and and actually sometimes you find that people in wheelchairs or that are visually impaired what they actually need is that space for example on the pavement um, which they can't get to because people have been parking on it um, so it's a bit of a, a cycle and, and really challenging but um, but I think it, it's making sure that we know that people with lived experience are contributing to the conversation it's really important to get those views and not just assume that um, this is this issue so we need to do this and we need to do that but also we need to build for what we want to see. Um, and we can see other cities in, in Europe, they're doing this really well. And, and some cities are actually changing things. You know, Barcelona's got its super blocks um, and it's made it so much easier for people to walk around those spaces and get around without getting into a car. Um, and I think we could do that. We could be bold, we could be visionary. We could create more cities that are positive examples of, 
of what things could be. Um, Bristol definitely has the capacity to, to do more, to be more ambitious, I think. Um, it's great to see that there are some projects, I guess, afoot. You know, you've got Liverpool City's happening livable neighborhoods in um, East Bristol. Um, I think that's a pilot program. But, you know, I'd love to see more of that happening. I think that we have the will. People want to have that. People want to be able to get around more easily. They want to breathe better air and hear the birds sing. Uh, we just need to be pushing for it. Yeah, I suppose it's it's tricky as well, isn't it, when our buses are kind of so um, unpredictable at the moment. But yes, the last thing we want to do is end up, you know, like America, you see sort of footage of a lot of cities in America that are completely car dependent and I read, I read something recently that I think the reason Americans like Disney World is because it's a walkable city which is so unique for them and they're like oh everything's within walking distance and I never thought about it that way um, and yet you you were telling me a bit off air about uh, there's lots of car clubs in Bristol which I wasn't really aware of can you expand a little bit on that yeah there are car clubs so um, if you do need a car occasionally but not every day I mean we know that most cars are sat in the same place for 95 percent of the time um, so that's yeah a long time to be not doing anything um, but if you need a car occasionally you can join a car club and borrow a car and you can um, I think there's um, co-wheels and enterprise are two that just come to my mind um, there may be more as well but um, I've got friends that have used them and had really positive experiences some of them have um, electric cars as well so just thinking about if you do want to be more mindful about that footprint of of that journey as well um, it can be a lot more sustainable than using a diesel or a petrol car great okay well that's that's something to look into probably um but yeah so uh, is there so if people want to get involved with sus trans people sort of like they like what they're hearing they want to support you um they want to support maybe the national cycle network how can they how can they get involved how can they support they can become a Sustrans supporter and there will be details on our website. Um, yeah, we have lots of people that support us across the country. Um, they're also, if you don't have the uh, ability to you know, spend some money, um, you can also be a volunteer. We've got local volunteers that, for example, help out on the railway path as well. Um, all contributing to making it a nicer place. Is that like litter picking, cutting back big hedges? What, what does that look like? Yeah, um, for example, those things, um, maybe keeping up some of the planting. Um, yeah, there are, there are a variety of ways that people can get involved and um, helping out on the National Cycle Network is one way, but um, we welcome volunteers with all kinds of backgrounds and interests. Amazing. And you said that there's also an open letter online. And just remind us what that's for. Um, yes, there is an open letter online to um, ask our transport secretary to reverse the cuts to active travel in England, because um, as Shona has pointed out, it's 25 times more money per head in Scotland than in England. So uh, we're really, really losing out here. Okay. Yeah. So we need, yeah, we need some uh, investment from big government in order to make it happen. Well, that's great. We're going to play some more music and then come to our culture corner. But yeah, anything else you want to say at this particular point, Zoe, about Sustrans or, yeah, active travel? Uh, well, I just encourage people to get out there, um, take up space on your feet, on your cycle, whatever. You know, the space outside is is for everyone, and um, everyone should feel like they can access it. Amazing. Well, thank you very much. Um, we're going to move to our culture corner now. And Zoe, you were telling me a bit about there's a book you're reading at the moment um, you wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. 
It's really good. Um, she's a, a Native American woman, but she's also a professor of ecology. And she's just got a really amazing way about talking about ecology, but also about indigenous knowledge. Amazing. And so what's what does the is it like fiction? Is it fact? Um, like what sort of stuff has she been taught? Because you're sort of partway through. You haven't finished it yet. You're saying. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's factual. It's kind of a memoir, maybe. But um, yeah, it's just really compelling writing. And I just love the different perspective, I guess, on thinking about, you know, for example, why certain things flourish in certain types of soil or what plants work together. Um, yeah, it's it's really really well written and um, definitely uh, um, a recommend. Great. Well, that is something to check out if that's something that you're interested in, in plants. Um, but yeah, Zoe, you have to dash away in a minute, don't you? But thank you so much for coming in. It was great to, great to speak to you. And yeah. Thanks good. so much for having me. It was really lovely coming in. So thanks, Shona. No worries. And yeah, and good luck with all the campaigning and all the getting people active. So we will definitely be following that and sure we'll have you back in at some point. But yeah, lovely. So while Zoe slips away, I'm going to talk about another uh, book. This one is a young adult fantasy novel called Unlondon by China Mielville. It came out maybe 10, but maybe a bit more years ago. It's a young adult fantasy novel. It's all set in an alternative version of London where a young heroine goes um, on an adventure to kind of save the day but it's all talking about uh, trash and smog and litter and kind of how to tackle that but in a really interesting quirky unique way so I definitely recommend that if that's something that you sound interested in or that a young person in your life might be interested in. Um, some other events happening at the moment in Bristol. So it is Bristol Walk Fest. This is happening throughout May. It's a uh, Bristol Walk Fest. You can follow it on bristolwalkfest.com. But there is a bunch of uh, walks happening throughout May, almost one per day, if not more. Um, and they follow different. Yeah, there's lots of different ones. There's like some quite easy ones. There's more difficult ones. There's ones that are about sport. There's like walking football, walking netball, walking rugby. It's it covers all different areas of the uh, city and different things. Yeah, you can do those mobility, scooter friendly ones, family friendly ones, ones where you could where dogs are welcome, ones where refreshments are available to buy. And so, yeah, I definitely recommend, um, yeah, checking that out if that's something you want to sort of explore your explore the city a bit more and understand some of the history of Bristol because it also talks about various historical ones there's ones about uh, history of bristol's comedy there's ones about um, blackbeard and banksy there's ones all about the nature so yeah definitely recommend that if that is something that you signed interested in uh, make the best of your of your spring um and also during walk fest there is going to be a free event at the watershed on wednesday 17th of may at 7 p.m um which is where we're going to be thinking about some of the barriers to walking underground overground and wandering free so they're going to be talking about um, some of the problems with Bristol's pedestrian underpasses, um, talking about how the walking environment affects walking experience and talking about um, the Sophie Brown founder of Bristol Stepping Sisters is going to just talk about how the group helps women of colour overcome barriers to walk in places where they would not have ventured. So you can register to go to that online. 
It's um, on the Watershed website and it's also, I'm sure you can find it through Bristol Walk Fest. A couple other uh, events happening um, coming up soon. So on the 17th of June, there is an event, I believe that The Ecologist is hosting called Small is the Future. Um, it has sold out in person, but there are some tickets available online in order to attend. It's having Dr. Anne Pettifor, amongst others, attending and talking about different ways to uh yeah to, to promote the future future technology i believe um there's also bristol transformed festivals happening on the 17th and 18th of june which is going to have a couple of panels on the climate including one all about climate imperialism with benny wenda who is uh an independence leader from west papua and that sounds uh really interesting and exciting so that almost brings us to the end of our show been great to have Zoe we're really happy to have her uh, please do join us next week for even more tunes and chat um, and thank you our listeners for listening without you there is no show um, next up on BCFM is lunchtime with Tristan B so keep it locked to BCFM for more tunes and chat but that is all from me Shona Gentry so please uh, take care have a good day look after yourselves look after the planet and look after each other This is the podcast version of One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show, broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM Radio, available on 93.2 FM, on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM Radio.